said, baby, what's the big deal? Feel what you wanna feel. Say what you wanna say. You're gonna die one day. For example, I could kiss you just because I want to. What's the difference if you turn away? I'm gonna die one day. Why do you waste your time? That's right, ladies and gentlemen, you're gonna die one day. And so am I. And so is my guest this afternoon. Uh, actually, maybe he's not because my guest is a bit of a fictional <laughs> character. He's he's half human, half fictional. Uh, Guy New York, welcome Thanks. to uh, Tangentially Speaking. It's good to be here. The first, this is the first episode where I know what the podcast is called. So it's my first, <laughs> the first one where I actually say thank you to Tangentially Speaking. The, the previous ones I've said thank you to the not yet named podcast. So. How many have you done? Uh, probably about a dozen. Okay. Yeah. So, um, yeah, well into it. As as with everything, I sort of, you know, I'm up to my neck before I figure out where I am. So, but good. here we are. So, listen, we're in New York. If you hear uh, traffic outside, that's New York, Manhattan traffic. Jackhammers. Glamorous New York noise. Yeah. Exactly. Occupy Wall Street. Yeah. Screaming masses. Exactly. The hordes. Um, okay. So, Guy New York. Yes. Who the hell is Guy New York? It's a good question. Yeah. How did you become Guy New York? Um, you know, I started writing a blog a couple years ago on Tumblr, actually. Uh, partially for work. I wanted to figure out how Tumblr worked and what it was like as a blogging platform. And so I started writing these really short little fictional, quasi-fictional pieces about sex. Um, and, and my sex life and people I knew. And uh, it was sort of an experiment trying to figure out how many I could write. I sat down one afternoon. They were all under 500 words. Mm. So the point was, all right, how many can I write in, uh, in a short period of time? Um, so I wrote about five or ten. I was like, oh, okay, apparently the, it doesn't stop. Right. Um, so when I started <laughs> the blog, stop. I was like, all right, I need a name. So I called the, the blog Quickies in New York because I was writing short things. Right. I knew that I would never blog if it was going to take me hours to write a blog post. I just, it's not how my, my mind works. So Right. It's got to come easily. Yeah, and they had to be quick. Right? So the quickies is not the description. The events themselves aren't necessarily quickies. It's the description is a right. quickie. Right. right. It right. sort of started out with a little bit of both. A lot uh -huh. of them were like sex in a bar or sex in the bathroom right. somewhere or sex in a park. That was sort of right. in and out. Thank right. You. Um, <laughs> But, and then the name, you know, I kind of stole a little bit from Garrison Keillor's sort of Guy Noir character. Like, it, it, I started out thinking it was going to be kind of over the top, dramatic and crass and this sort of, I'm in a bar and it smells like whiskey and piss and yeah. sex. And, you know, it was going to be this Bukowski kind of, yeah, vomiting it was gonna be, while he has sex. And I just realized I couldn't keep it up. It was too... So uh, to speak. Yeah, so to speak, exactly. Boom, boom. Yeah. That's the problem yeah. when you talk about sex. Everything is a double entendre. It's true. It's, yeah. yeah, so we'll just ignore them for now, right. if possible. Yeah, yeah we'll yeah. go back and take them out just later. Audience should assume all puns are intended unless otherwise right. alerted. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, so your character has something to do with Garrison Keillor, the the least erotic, the least erotic person. person. Yeah, well, family. you know, childhood fantasies. What can you do? <laughs> <laughs> wait, wait, whose childhood fantasy are we talking about here? You and Garrison have a thing. What's going on? No, it was it was just the guy noir character from okay. the Grand Open, and it was just sort of, you know, yeah. and then it was very New York, so I just threw it in. Right. But it was it was one of those things where it started out as kind of a joke name, and I got stuck with it. I just want to note for our audience that Guy New York is wearing a, 
an ironic fedora kind of uh, thing. Going. Actually, I lo- it's not ironic. It's not ironic. I'm, I'm sincerely wearing a fedora. <laughs> oh, you just take an irony to a whole nother level. Man. I know, I know. <laughs> it's, it's a meta-ironic fedora. Is it a fedora? Actually, I don't even know if that's I'm not sure. Somebody left it in my office, and, and I've been wearing it ever oh, since. Okay. All right. Yeah. Good, good. Okay. So, so, now, you're not from New York originally. I grew up in Jersey. In Jersey, so that, yeah, that's New Yorkish. Yeah, 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 yeah. My father used to drive me into the city, and we would do two things: we would go to Chinatown and buy fireworks, uh-huh. um, and then we would drive around like forty, like Eighth, Ninth Avenue in the thirties and forties, and look at prostitutes with dad. I mean, and look, and from and afar, a it, was, it was really more of a like, yeah, we'd get the fireworks and then we'd drive through that part of town and we'd be like, oh, look over there, you know, and then they would kind of wave at the car. And, and I was a kid and I was kind of like, oh, this is kind of cool, seedy part of New York. And so he waved at the car in I, recognition, like, hey, I, Mr. Guy I, New York. I have no idea. Guy, guy New York's father. <laughs> yeah, How you yeah, doing? Exactly. I have no idea. <laughs> this is my, you know, some of my earlier memories. Yeah. Yeah. Driving around the city. My first memory of New York, uh, God, I must have been 11 or something. And uh, my parents had uh, had some friends who lived on the far Upper West Side. I mean, I guess around Columbia University somewhere. Yeah. And uh, we'd gone in, you know, we'd had dinner at their house or something, and, and we were driving out. I don't know where we were going, maybe New Jersey. Um, my mother's parents were living in New Jersey then, so maybe we were going there. But in any case, we were leaving. It was late at night you know, maybe one in the morning or something. And um, we were in a station wagon. So my sister and I were in the back, like way in the back, you know, where the seats fold down and all that. And so we were facing each other, looking sideways out of the car. We stopped at a red light. My parents were chatting. There were people, you know, a lot of people milling around on the streets. And just as the light changed, a guy broke a bottle on a car's roof mm-hmm. and slashed a woman across the face with the bottle with the bottle wow and my parents were like pulling away and i didn't say a word i was stunned right and yeah, we just yeah. like it happened yeah. and we, we pulled out and i was like whoa wow whoa things happen fast in yeah. new york yeah, yeah. it's and easy that to stuck with me for a long time i think it's easy to romanticize the sort of seedier new york from from when we were younger mm. as well so I, I can think about it and say, oh yeah, it was, it was, was kind of gritty and it was yeah, all this stuff and it was yeah. people getting slashed in the face with bottles. Yeah. yeah. And then I lived here in the mid eighties. It was pretty rough. Yeah. You know, it was, yeah. uh, there were like random stabbings in the street and it was right when it was starting to change and when, yeah, my timing with real estate has never been good. <laughs> you know, I always sort of, I mean, I guess I've in Barcelona, I've, I've ridden a beautiful wave there, but yeah, I lived in New York and you know, some of the worst years to live here. Um, but it was great, despite yeah. all that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, hardest place ever to meet women, though. Which brings us back to your your <laughs> thing. I guess really? that's also yeah, New York is the hardest place to meet women. It was then for okay. me, uh, but part of it was that I mean, I was in a world that was um, I, I was in this bizarre world. I came here, got a job in a restaurant, and. Um, through actually in through those people my parents had gone to visit in, yeah. on the upper west side friends of theirs owned a restaurant on the upper west side so i was working in this restaurant and uh a guy was there reading a novel that i really liked and i started uh, chatting with mm-hmm. him and then we sort of became friends and he ended up the novel was the unbearable lightness of being there a great yeah. novel yeah. about sex and yeah. men and women and relationships and all that um 
But yeah, anyway, he ended up uh, offering me a job as his personal assistant working in the diamond district. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I was suddenly, you know, an Irish American with right. a BA right, right. in literature and my only work experience, two summers on salmon boats in Alaska, living and working in the yeah, diamond yeah. district. Yeah. The only goy on the block. Which in some ways hasn't changed as much as you would think. The diamond district? Yeah. It'll never yeah. change. Yeah. People are still yeah. doing the same things. They're still carrying just ridiculous stones in their pockets. And yeah. You have no idea. Yeah. It's a very interesting place. Uh, I, I got a, an insider view. But anyway, it's not like those weren't my people. Right. You know what I right. mean? And businessmen right. and real right. estate and, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. it's the lawyers and accountants. Yeah. It's like, you and how are you going to, how are you going to meet people? How are you going to? Right. So yeah. like go hang out in a bar. That's, I've never right. been that guy. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm not either. Hmm. Um, so how do you meet women? That's a good question. I've always met people through, through friends. I mean, I've always right. made, you know, the times when I've been like, all right, I want to pick somebody up or I'm really wanting to, to hook up with somebody I don't know. I call like that, that sort of friend I haven't seen in a while or that person who's a little bit removed from my life who has a whole different sort of circle of people involved. And you just say, can I come over and school your yeah, friends? Or, yeah, basically. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> Hey, hey you they, know, they know me well enough that I don't, I don't have to say Maybe that. Maybe there's a reason you haven't been in touch for a while. You know what I mean? It's like, I'm surprised they answer your call, man. You're like the stray dog who wanders into the neighborhood and like, hey, what's going on? Yeah, but then everybody always feeds a stray dog. <laughs> Do they? I don't know. Uh, all right. So, so the point how, is to remove yourself just a little bit from your normal, from my normal like setting. is to I sort see. of put myself in a, in a slightly familiar but also slightly... Uh, exterior position. Well, that's a very hunter-gatherer approach to dating, you know. Uh, that's how I've always considered it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, you hang out with me a little bit, you see the whole world breaks down into hunter-gatherers and farmers. I had, you know, I had a professor in college who was, I, I took an intro anthropology course my senior year of college as like a prerequisite. And then, right. of course, I loved it. And he right. was completely fucking insane and just right. a brilliant, brilliant professor. Um, but a whole lot on hunter gatherer society and 20 hour work week and all of these sort of, sort yeah. of things, which got me, which, which did get me thinking and, and has sort of influenced my, my philosophy or thoughts. Since you going for that 20 hour work week? That's ideal. Yeah. I think it's ideal. I would, I would vote for pretty much anybody who three day work week, maybe, maybe. three day and, and the yeah. work should be enjoyable. Yeah. You should yeah. be able to do it drunk. Yeah. Uh, and do it with friends. Right. Yeah. I think stress is the biggest killer. And then we also have this Protestant work ethic, which I think is class warfare, basically. Right. That, you know, you're not worth anything unless you're working your ass off. Right. And then you work your ass off and you get sick and you get, you know, you have a heart attack or whatever because we work too hard. Right. And, and, we, and we turn it into a morality game where if you're not working hard, then you're useless because that's what we've been told from people who, who live off of our labor. Ah, there you go. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. It's like... It's like the, the one that kills me is, um, you know, you should fight fair. Right. You know, who what is it that that's mean? telling you to fight fair? <laughs> right, it's right. the guy yeah, who's yeah. planning to kick you in the balls. Right. That's yeah. who's telling you that, yeah. you know? Yeah. 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 Propaganda. I love in Spain where I live, first of all, the, yeah. that whole thing is subverted. Right. Right. People, uh, work to live. They don't live to work. Yeah. You know? Yeah. <laughs> and they're very um, proud of that. Is it an American thing? Yeah, it's American British. Yeah, yeah, it's, that makes it's, sense. Yeah, it's uh, you know, so yeah, in, in Spain, it's it's very much uh, the opposite. People are are 
you know, just work is just something you have to do in order to pay for the dinner and the party and right. the, the hangout. Right. Yeah. And everybody's got at least four weeks vacation and right. lots of holidays because yeah, yeah. it's Catholic. So all the saints and this right. and that, it's, right. you know, constant holidays over there. Um, what the hell am I talking about? Spain, uh, work Working week. too hard, stress, class warfare. Oh, propaganda. Propaganda, yes. But in, in Spanish, um, advertising the word for advertising is propaganda really? yeah <laughs> yeah they say oh there's there's the propaganda for you know the new razor blades right, or whatever right, it's like right. i like that it is propaganda yeah you know yeah it is but then it becomes a consensual experience too because you know this is somebody trying to sell me something and then i can decide whether i want it it doesn't feel like they're trying to sneak something in on you. in spain yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. If, if it's uh up front there's still you know because american um advertising has spread across the globe they're still using the same insidious mind control techniques that advertisers right. everywhere use right. do you know the the founder of modern advertising was a guy named edward bernays very mm -hmm. interesting guy. He was the first person to ever use focus groups to mm -hmm. try to figure out, you know, how yeah. whether things are effective or not. He um, got into politics. Well, he politics. He helped consulted for the CIA in designing propaganda campaigns against foreign leaders. Right. So he was um, a principal element in the the subverting of. Uh, I think his name was Otterbenz, who was the democratically elected uh, president of Guatemala, okay. uh, who started saying, okay, we need to expropriate some of this land controlled right. by United Fruit Company because the peasants have been forced off their own land where mm -hmm. they've always lived. People are starving to death. We're going to start to restructure this. Yeah. So the CIA brought in uh, Bernays to discredit him, and then they staged a coup. This was like in 55, 56, something like that. And, um, you know, since then, 100,000 people have died in this ongoing conflict in Guatemala. Anyway. Right. The point is. The point is, Bernays, also, the other thing he's famous for is coming up with, you've come a long way, baby. Right. 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 The, you're, you're a feminist, liberated woman. Now smoke these cigarettes, bitch. Right. 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 Um, <laughs> his uncle was none other than Sigmund Freud. Ah. So it all fits together. Some, yeah. Yeah, mind control, man. See, I love advertising. Oh. Um, in a, it's sort of a strange relationship, um, partially because it is a lot of what I do for a living. Oh, okay. Um, but I, I like the idea that you can authentically communicate, um, I think, in a, in a good world. Sure. And I think you get some of that with micro-advertising and some of the sort of focused, pinpointed things you can do now online. Right. Where... We all want, we do want things. We want stuff. I think I, in an ideal world, we would only be sold things that we actually want or can use. Right. Um, I don't know. I find it, I just find it fascinating. I like it, the way we communicate. And, yeah. But, yeah, that's complicated. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, I mean, there's, there's, Advertising as information is interesting, right? And yeah. you, and it's aesthetic, and it can be funny, and it can be right. great, and all this. Right. So there's definitely a lot of creativity. It's storytelling. It can be great storytelling. It's right. storytelling. But the ultimate underlying purpose of advertising, I think, is essentially evil. And this is nothing against you or your sure, day job, sure. and, you know, everybody sure. does it. I'm sure there's advertising on <laughs> wherever people download this podcast, right, there's right. advertising. So I'm not, we all participate in it. But, you know, the, the, the essential function of advertising is to, is to create a need that didn't exist before. It's to create an itch 
that that I am selling you a, a, like a half a scratch for. Right, right. You know, and I think that's one of the mechanisms by which perpetual unhappiness is promulgated throughout the world. You know, you need this thing because then yeah. beautiful women will, you know, be all over you. And then you buy that thing and beautiful and women aren't all over you. I think it's actually bad advertising. I think when advertising it's works really well, it is about, about connecting people with actual needs or actual... Um, yeah, but how many actual needs do we have, man? Well, we have needs to create and we have needs to do these things, right? We, to run businesses and to build things and to make things. And, and that becomes our, the way we do commerce. And I, and I think the way we do commerce and, and have, is taking over everything, I think, to, to a, an extent which I don't like. Yeah. Um, but I do think it's still a sort of a fairly natural part of human existence, our ability to make things and share those things trading, with other people yeah. And, yeah. and trading. Um, and it does give a lot of meaning to our lives, but I, it is, it's easy for you to get carried away. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and I don't become, wanna, they get their own momentum. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, enough about enough advertising. About, yeah. That's depressing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but let's get back to the sex. When in yeah, doubt, absolutely. get back to absolutely. the sex. Yeah. So, okay, so you start this uh, Quickies in New York thing. Right. This is what, two years ago, three years ago? Yeah, two and a half years ago. So I don't remember how I ago. first came a, a, across it, but but I was really impressed. The, your, your writing is, is intelligent and it's like juicy, but it's smart. It's, you know, what Henry Miller wishes he had written. I yeah, think. I wish. <laughs> I wish it was. Anyway. But then uh, there's also photography. Yes. Right? Yeah. So it's become this whole sort of downtown New York. G give the... By the way, this is... Unless you work in a very cool place, this is probably not safe for work. Right. right? It's quickiesnewyork.com. Quickiesnewyork.com. And that's right. the photography and the writing yeah. is in the same place. Okay. Yeah. So I met a guy who goes by the Dirty Gentleman a couple years ago because a woman I was dating um, met him at a party and, and they started dating as well, um, which is how I've met a lot of my guy friends now, which is fucking fantastic way to meet people is that I'm dating somebody and then she starts sleeping with this really cool person who then gets to be one of my good friends the best yeah which yeah. I, I love so the best way to meet guys is to have a woman who sleeps with them yeah absolutely it's also a good yeah. way to meet women yes absolutely because they're probably yeah it's 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 a good <laughs> ecosystem it's okay yeah so she met this awesome guy we started yeah. hanging out and getting to know each other and he did some photography and um and we started putting together some things and he started sending some photos over um, so we've spent a couple months posting a couple of his photos, but still reblogging other stuff because Tumblr, you can repost other people's content. Uh -huh. So it started out with my stories and other people's stuff. And we slowly worked his stuff in. Mm. And then we did this one day epic shoot in Brooklyn where it was like 12 hours. We had 20 models. We had a system make and everybody volunteered their time. It was like just wow. a great group of amazing people who wow. were incredibly generous. And they came in and we shot like 500 photos in a day of 20 people. And different styles and different rooms. We were in an old abandoned convent out in Brooklyn. <laughs> and so we had like the priest actually kept walking in every once in a while and we had to sort of like move people around and you know and, and so it was a it was slightly awkward there, but it worked out and we got some great photos. And wow. we looked at that and we said, you know what, we have enough material right now that we're just gonna post our own content. All right. Um, and so we started working with those and we did another big shoot a month or so later. Um, and then we started doing some smaller things and we just started working together really well and enjoying coming up with the ideas mm. and finding more people who wanted to, uh, 
you know, I've just been amazed at how many people say, I'll, I'll do that. I'll take my clothes off for you. Or not. A lot of people don't take their clothes off for the blog. You know, I right. think photography is somewhere. Because right. it's it's erotic. It's not all about nudity. I mean, you've got, yeah. there's S&M yeah. stuff going on. Yeah. There's, there's male-male stuff, female-female. It's right. all right. sort of runs the gamut of, of what human beings get up to. And a lot of it's what these people do. We bring the models in. And a lot of time we say, we like this, but... We also find people who are doing the kind of things we want to do. So right. if somebody's tied up, it's because they like getting tied up. We didn't just tie them up for right. pictures. So right. It's, 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 it's almost like documentary in, in some sense. I mean, yeah. they are who they are, and you're just recording it. And it's very personal. They're all right. friends or partners or right. people that were partners. And, and so it, it has a really nice uh, sort of communal feel to it. Yeah. Um, which I really have grown. Yeah, you've got an interesting crowd of friends. I, I, mean, I had a, a very quick glimpse into your community when uh, I was in New York uh, what, about a year ago, I guess. Yeah. And I did a, a presentation here. And um, and then after, a uh, guy said, hey, well, there's a little after party if you want to come along. So I, I went with a couple friends and it's in an apartment in the Lower East Side or yeah. something. And you know, great place, lots of cool people there. The only complaint I have <laughs> I know what you're say. is that uh, this guy said, okay, everybody, uh, you know, just be careful. I'm going to do a scene here. Like an, it was like an S&M scene with a samurai sword. And he had this woman tied to a chair and he was right. swinging the samurai sword all over the place, which um, makes me nervous. Right. Yeah. Just the true. fact that there's a samurai sword. Well, we had been drinking and, and he hadn't. You know, just to clarify. Right. But, yeah. still, but we didn't know that. But my major complaint was that, that he was blocking access to the, to the beer. Right. You can't block yeah. access to the beer at a party with a samurai sword. And that's the kind of logistics I think that it takes a while to figure out in BDSM. <laughs> You know, like you know you've exactly. got the knots right you know the sword is polished but you've got to figure you got to be aware there's a lot of are you blocking access involved. to the beer yeah exactly. there's a lot of yeah and that's that's about consent these contingencies that come yeah. up. i think i risked my life at least twice to get a fresh beer yeah 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 but um you have to time the the, the right. Right. perfectly yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was a fun party it was fun yeah it was i fun. like parties like that where you have some people hanging out in the corner talking you have somebody else fucking on a couch in the corner you have somebody smoking on the on the fire right, escape right. somebody mixing drinks somebody beating somebody somewhere else <laughs> and and there's no you can kind of do what you want to do yeah yeah you know, or just not, sit there and watch because there's exactly, so much going on exactly yeah but you're not there because it's you know the party doesn't have a purpose other than to get together and hang out and right and, and as some people like to get naked and hang out and some people like to get drunk and hang out and some people like to smoke on the terrace and yeah. some people like the fire to play with swords yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know, I, I I haven't been to a lot of parties like that or clubs or whatever. Yeah. But one thing that is striking to me about that sort of thing is that is how quickly it becomes normal. Yes, you know what I mean. To be at a party yeah. where a couple is having sex over there, yeah, and we're over here chatting about work, yeah. Uh, like the first time I was in that situation, I was like, whoa, there are people having sex right over there. Wow. Right. That's pretty wild. And like 10 minutes later, I'd already forgotten about right. it. Like, oh, and yeah, I was yeah. back to the conversation. And now when I'm at a party and I see people who wish they were having sex, but right. are too inhibited, right. like, why, or, aren't you just, why don't you just go ahead and fuck? I mean, yeah. you know, yeah. it doesn't, it doesn't bother you. But then I forget, right. like, wait a minute, the rest of the world's not they like that. that. Yeah. But you know what yeah. I'm saying? How it becomes, it, 
to me, it, it suggests to me that that's closer to normal than than we know because of how easily one becomes accustomed to it. That's a good point. Or maybe that's it's true. just us yeah. that we become. Maybe other people wouldn't become I think accustomed a lot of, to it. I, think I don't know. A lot of people do because yeah. you know people come into these events who have never been to them before, um, and I think it is easy to get. I mean, I don't think you get desensitized to it. It just becomes sort of normal, normal behavior. Yeah, I don't think it's desensitization. I think it's it's that it's less of a big deal than we think it is. Right. Right. When right. we're imagining, think it's going to be this big. You right. think it's going to be this pornified, you right. know, crazy right. thing, and right. actually, it's just a couple of people having sex over there, and it's no. And the first time I was in that situation, I remember feeling like. Like I was, it's sort of like I was at the zoo, right? In the monkey cage, <laughs> you, watching, you know. Yeah. And it's like, oh, the monkeys are yeah. fucking whatever, right? And but I don't mean that insulting at all, because the other thing I felt was we are monkeys who fuck. We are monkeys and or apes anyway, and I felt this great sense of trust. Yeah, that they were comfortable enough in my presence, right? To do what they felt like doing and not worry about whether it was going to freak me out or anyone else who was right, there, right? And that made me feel like, wow, there's there's this this uh, ambiance of trust and confidence in this room that's really kind of yeah. touching in an emotional yeah. way. You know, even if I never talked to them, the yeah, fact completely. that they were comfortable doing that in my presence made me feel accepted in a strange sort of way. Right. And that actually, that experience in some ways was the germ of Sex at Dawn. Because that first time I was in that situation, I remember thinking... This isn't really about sex. This is about trust. This is about community. This is like, there are all sorts of things happening here that I Acceptance could not have imagined. Acceptance is a good word. Acceptance, yeah. They're, yeah. yeah. They're sort of willing to let people do what they do. Yeah. Which gets us back to your website. One of the things I really like about your website is that it's so inclusive. Because there are so many... You know, there are lots of websites with naked women, right. or there are websites with SNM, or there are websites, you know, um, you know, gay or bi, or you know, there are websites that are focused on whatever your thing is. Right. But what I like about about your stuff, the writing as well as the photography, is I don't really know what's happening with whom until I'm halfway through it. Right. You know? Right. Um, that and that's that's interesting. I mean, I'm I'm straight personally, but I've got. You know, I can certainly appreciate, uh, you know, Robert Maplethorpe photo yeah. or, you know, whatever. If it's a good photograph, it's a good photograph, you know. I actually leave out gender a lot of the time in stories. Mm. I mean, sometimes it's clear if there's genitalia involved. Yeah. Um, but I find that when I'm, I'm talking to people about the story, they identify with a character who who I had I sort of viewed a different way. So right. it may be, uh, you know, a somebody who's female identified saying, oh, I really related to this character. I really related right. to that character. Right. And I have to go back and remember whether I, how clear I made things or, or didn't, but yeah. I try to do that intentionally. So partially so people can relate to it more, but also because I don't think sex is always about the, you know, right. The, the body. Right. Yeah. It's not really about the body. And yet the body is the way we, we right. connect. Oh, yeah. Bodies are fun. I think about it, you know, to me, it's like if you're walking down the street and you've got a uh, helium balloon, right. you know, you're holding the string in your hand, Yeah. right? The balloon is the, the spirit or the person. Mm -hmm. The string is the body, hmm. right? So in sex, I sort of like, I hand you the string. Right. You know what I mean? <laughs> right, right. But so it balloon, goes yeah. by, you know, you take possession or, or the, there's a contact between our balloons, but it all happens through the strings. Yeah, yeah. You know? Uh, 
Yeah, I don't know if that's going to get me in trouble. Like, like the kitty balloon sex. I think that might be illegal. <laughs> I think, I think I just said something right. illegal Maybe. there. No, as long as it's not a mylar balloon, I think that's <laughs> a regular old-fashioned helium <laughs> balloon. <laughs> it is helium, though. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah so, so how many of these stories, what, what percentage of the stories are based on actual experience or fantasy or... They you know, all are. They all are. They're based all based on, on actual experience or fantasy. <laughs> <laughs> I should have phrased that better. <laughs> no, um, <laughs> you know, they all have. They all come from someplace. Um, sometimes it is kind of fictionalized account. Sometimes mm. it is something that's very direct. Do you ever um, write a story and then later have it happen? Yes. So you're like conjuring it up from the universe well, do you yeah, ever yeah. think like I'm going to write a story about you know two people in this bar and one of them's going to do that and then like two weeks later it happens I think usually it's a little bit more um, personal or I write something that I kind of would like to happen right. and then either I share it with a person I want it to happen oh, with okay. which so, helps so um, that's not it's not karma yeah. it's a hint hint yeah. yeah yeah but I think a lot of the things that it's hard sometimes for me to write down um, things that, that completely how I experience them mm. um, because everybody has different levels of, of anonymity in their lives and what they want things to be sure. shared and sure. and so who's comfortable with sharing what and then there's some things that just feel personal that I that I end up fictionalizing a little bit because because um, I don't want to share that with the whole world I wanted to share that with the, the person right. or the people I shared it with right you still stick into the 500 word limit sometimes I go over it a little bit um, but you're still trying to keep it real snapshot. Yeah, and you know, I've done some ebooks that are longer um, yeah, than that. That's right. I wanted, I wanted to, to try that. to expand and see what it'd be like to write things. And and tell, some tell people have, the, about the ebooks where they can. I know they're on Amazon, but yeah, they're on Amazon and Barnes and Noble. Um, mm-hmm. They're just undergone New York. Okay. Um, some of them are very much like the blog. They're kind of short stories put together. And then I have a couple longer pieces. Um, Hannah, which is that's right, which is one, which is really about. It was probably the most personal thing that I've written and that it was really about how I do relationships and the people in my lives and, and from my my partners and, and how things get negotiated. And it has a lot of the fun and the sex part in it, but it also has a lot of the figuring things out and the jealousy and the discomfort and the challenges that come with it. Right. Um, so are you comfortable talking about your personal life? I mean, your polyamory and how you do all that? Yeah. Yeah, especially since sure. we're not using your name. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Well, voice is actually easier, I think, to recognize than almost anything. But Oh, really? So voice recognition software, the NSA oh, yeah, knows who you yeah, are, they for know, sure. Yeah, yeah. Sure. yeah, they know sure. who I am, too, unfortunately. Right. Um, yeah, I have, I have a friend who works uh, in D.C. for the, the well, I, for a, a top, top, you know, right. scary Something, agency, yeah. which shall remain nameless. And not too long ago, I got an email uh, from this person saying, you know, as uh, much as I hate to say this, I think I have to sort of stop Talking being in to touch you. with you because yeah. you're becoming more and more publicly known and some of your positions on things could put my job in jeopardy wow land of the free home yeah, of the yeah. brave yeah, yeah right right I, mean, I, I have some of that in my life as well with um with partners that, which i which i won't get into because of um because their jobs could be affected and right and and that's complicated i think i believe in in sort of being honest and open about all of these things but yeah. but we do live in in a world that where those things become more complicated, especially if you have a job that involves working with children or working in right. some environment where 
it would really be problematic. Yeah, there's a there's a strange sort of paranoia at on the loose in the United States involving anything, any overlap of sexuality and children. Yes. You know, there, I, yeah. I was talking to a guy recently, he's doing a documentary about his own experience as a registered sex offender. Right. And the reason he's a registered sex offender for life mm-hmm. is that his first sexual experience at the age of 19 mm-hmm. was with his 15, well, a 15 year old girl he met online who was sexually active. Right. He, she invited him over to her house when her mother right. was out. He went over to her house. The mother came home, called right. the cops. Yeah. For the rest of his life, this guy's a registered sex offender. Yeah. You know, he had seven years of probation, weekly therapy sessions with real rapists right where at the beginning of each session he had to say my name is whatever i forcibly inserted my penis into an unwilling 15 year old girl he had to lie about why he was there and repeat it every week it's it's this it's a bizarre twisted yeah we're very yeah i think it it gets complicated when you get into especially with age uh, issues yeah. in that when we have teenagers, basically, you know, he was 19 and she was 15 and, yeah. and we understand that consent isn't just about, about what we say and what we do, but there is, there are levels of, of how developed people are and, and, and what is our ability to make a decision and to consent to something. But I yeah. think we really go, um, I think we're, we are scared of it. And, and people get really uncomfortable very, very quickly having yeah. those conversations. Yeah. And when you can't talk about something, then you, it's hard to have any level of, of transparency and justice around right. it where you Right, or control over it. Right. You know what right. I mean? Even on a personal level, I was talking to a, a researcher in BC in British Columbia a couple of weeks ago, and she was talking about how the latest research on pedophilia suggests that it's best understood as a sexual orientation. Wow. That it's not, she says it's, it's not a, a brain anomaly right. any more than heterosexuality or bisexuality or sure. homosexuality is. It's uh, something that seems to be related to fetal development. It's something that's inborn and remains that way throughout life is not changeable. Right. Um, it's controllable through right. therapy. Right. And a lot of pedophiles want therapy. Right. They yeah. don't want yeah, yeah. To, to do yeah, anything yeah. inappropriate with children. But in the United States, if you go to a therapist and say, I'm a pedophile, right. the therapist has to yeah. a reporter. And, it's unbelievable. Yeah. yeah. Anyway. Enough about that. Boy, right, we're right. veering into I know, strange I know, stuff I here. So uh, I know some of the people who listen to this podcast are interested just to hear how people negotiate unconventional sexual relationships, right? Yeah, Do you have any yeah. insight into that? I mean, obviously, you know a lot of people who are in unconventional sexual relationships. I don't know that I have a whole lot of insight into it. Um, I have experience with it. Um, I think a lot of... Especially with the people that I know in New York, people do things very differently. Um, and so I know, you know, one group of three people who live together and, mm. and where they're all in relationship with each other. I know some people who date as a couple and they only go out and they pick people up together. Right. And I know some people who have very, very open relationships where they go out on their own and they're, um, you know, and, and so there's a huge, huge sort of wealth of, of, of styles and, and opportunity for right. relating to people in different ways. Right. Um, for me, I think it comes down to 
being really honest with myself and with my partners um, in terms of what in terms of what I need to know, what I don't need to know, what I want to know, what they want to know, what they don't want to know. Um, and then being willing to be there with each other to listen and to communicate well. Um, and it doesn't mean that we share everything because a lot of time we don't want to know everything. Right. Um, right. You have sort of a, if you ask, I'll tell policy. We, I, I mean, I have different relationships and I have different guidelines. With different you have one, one main relationship. Yes. Right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I have a, a, I have a spouse. I'll say that. Okay. That. Right. Right. Um, and so the two of you, ha- I mean, people. I've had people come to me after presentations, you know, where where I, I don't advocate anything other than sure. honesty and sure. you know, what, what you're talking about, communication. And I advocate all the time. I think open relationships are great. Oh, good. You you, you be the advocate. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll try to maintain to some neutrality. <laughs> um, but anyway, people come up to me. People think I'm advocating. I guess right. it's implied. You know, it's hard because I'm hard. saying be honest, and people think, well, if I were honest, I'd be in right. an open relationship, and then they put that right. onto me. You know, all I'm but saying it's is hard be not honest. to personal it instantly yeah and I think it's hard with a lot of things but yeah. especially with sex and relationships as soon, as soon as I tell somebody oh I have an open marriage their first thought is often oh my god what would that be like for me right or is this going to be a threat to me right I, I hear that right. a lot too yes, you know exactly. you stop getting invited to cocktail parties at certain people's right. house because they right. think you'll right yeah corrupt everybody but uh yeah. Now, what the hell was I saying? That people come up to me, advocate. I can't remember. I don't know. I don't know. Oh, oh, they say. Oh, they say. You know, you, you talk about open relationships or, or polyamory or whatever, sure. but life's not that simple. Right. <laughs> <laughs> simple? Are you simple? It's like yeah. ten times more complicated. Yeah. You know, in terms of the communication, anyway. Right. You know, but honesty makes things simpler. Right, like once well, you start lying, it is when yeah. things get really complex. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I do think that it requires a lot of self care. It requires the ability to really, for me, to be able to pay attention to my own emotions, to mm. pay attention to, to when I'm feeling up and down, and when I'm feeling jealous and possessive, and when I'm feeling open. Right. And, um, and for me to have trust in myself that I can take care of those things, but then also trust in my partners that they can handle those things too. So do you think having an unconventional relationship, the way you just described it sounds very much to me like Buddhism. And, you know, I think there's a level on which people who are on that path, it's a path toward enlightenment in a certain way. I don't mean to get too, too no, no, I, crystal I mean, I gazing think, here, but having that awareness, what you just said, like, yeah. no, seeing my emotions, that, that's right. all about, you know, Buddhism is all about separating yourself from watching yourself right. go through that, your things and having step that. Step back and observe. Yeah. And, and, yeah. and actually, I've I studied Buddhism for a long time, and oh, okay. I think that's informed, that's definitely informed my my relationships hmm. um, and how I've negotiated sort of the polyamory in my life. Right. Because there were definitely times when I tried some of this when I was younger where I just failed miserably. Through where, jealousy or what? Um, a lot of it was a lack of knowledge. Right. Um, I didn't really have anybody that I could talk to. and But I also wasn't able to just spend the time to sit and talk hmm. um, about what it was that I wanted and what it was that my partners wanted and, right. and how we were and, and I just was caught up in a lot of things that I believed to be true that weren't and a lot of habits and right. and, and things that, that just sort of made it harder to, to actually do it well. Yeah. Um, and how, when did you decide to go off the beaten path and, and 
you know, hack your own trail through this stuff? Um, well, as I said, I, I've had some relationships in the past that have been sort of open on and off. So are we talking in high school or? Yeah. You know, in, in high school, actually, when I was graduating high school, I, there was, there was, I was dating one woman. Um, and then I ended up sort of getting a crush on somebody else. And, and I told her, I said, I have a crush on this other person and, and I'm, I'd like to hang out with her too. And, and it, you know, and they were kind of like, okay. And, and it sort of worked out. Um, and and sort of didn't <laughs> three way. Um, no, they were, yeah, it was very very separate. Oh, uh-huh. in that, in, yeah, they were not the best of friends. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I was talking. Do you know who Reed Mahalko is? Yeah, yeah. You know, I was talking with him a couple days ago, and uh, he was talking about his first time, and he was you know with this woman, and then right. he had feelings with another about another woman. Yeah, and. And he, his idea was, let's just get them together. We'll right, all meet, right, and everything right. will be great. <laughs> yeah, that's, a, <laughs> and that's actually one of the things I like about open relationships. Yeah. Right? Is that like my spouse can date people that I do not. They do not have to become my best friend. Right. Right. And we often right. find people because we like different types of people. We often right. find people in our lives that that aren't necessarily going to get along. Right. It helps if they're civil and polite to each other. Yeah. So do you try to like bring everyone together, like the people she's seeing, the people you're seeing? Do you try to have events where everyone gets together, or is it do you just keep it separate? On occasion, I mean, I don't think we try necessarily one way or the other. It's not something it's you're shooting a for. Bit more organic, yeah. right? Yeah, I mean, there are definitely times when we go out of our way to sort of mm. to spend time and. And how do you handle this stuff, like with family or old friends? You know, do you we lie? You lie, yeah. yeah. Well. Yeah, we sort of avoid talking about it right now. I mean, it's... Here's some advice for you. Don't do a podcast. Don't do a podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Every podcast I do, I'm thinking, oh, I hope my mother's not listening to this. Not that my mother's uptight or my father. No, I think actually my parents would be pretty understanding about it. My mother was a sex ed teacher growing up. Oh, really? And so I had... Um, at least a lot of reading material in the house <laughs> right. for me to go through. Not that it was always a conversation I wanted to be having. Did she, I mean, I'm sure she had the conversation with you. Was it different because she's a sex ed teacher? We had, yeah, I shouldn't tell the story, but we definitely, <laughs> one of the earlier conversations I remember, and I wasn't young, I was probably in high school. Um, and I think this is actually more as I was sort of figuring out my sexuality and orientation in high school. Mm. Um, so I'm not quite sure what she was trying to say, but... She, she said to me, she said, you know, sex at the end of the day is really just friction. It's just, it doesn't matter if it's between a man and a man or a man and a woman or a man and a tree. It's just really the mechanics of it. It's just friction. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and that kind of wow. stuck with me. Yeah. Um, mostly thinking about fucking trees, which hasn't been yeah. that appealing to me. You know? <laughs> that gives morning wood a whole right, different right, meaning, right. doesn't it? Um, yeah. But yeah, it was sort of a, it was a complicated, in some ways though, it did give me an ability to think about the mechanics of sex as somewhat different from the, the emotional experience and the, um, which I don't separate in generally speaking in my, in my actual practices. Yeah. Um, but it was an interesting way to think about it and to sort of think about what, what it, what the difference is between. Yeah. Yeah. All right, listen, we're going to take a break. Uh, I, I just received an email this morning from my editor telling me the things I should say. So this is my virgin experience here. <laughs> with. So I'm saying uh, go to Feral Audio, F-E-R-A-L audio.com, where you can check out other great podcasts like the Duncan Trussell Family Hour, which I've appeared on twice. 
Uh, he's hilarious. He's a comedian. I, I talk about spilling the beans, man. Last time I was on his podcast, I ended up telling stories about taking LSD and you know <laughs> getting bit by a scorpion in Guatemala and, and you yeah. know getting mind fucked by high tension power lines. I mean, it was just horrible. Uh, anyway, feralaudio.com. Feral uh, Duncan Trussell is hilarious. Uh, there's some other great podcasts there as well. And uh, what else? Uh, order. Oh, yeah, you can uh, make donations. Oh, I don't wow. know why people make donations, but I'm glad they, they should. do. Yeah, they should. It'll go, to, It'll go to a good cause, yeah. the, the Christopher Ryan College Fund. Right, right. Still paying for college, yeah. you know? Yeah, we all. <laughs> <laughs> and what else? Uh, the uh, oh, if you order, use the there's an affiliate Amazon link. So if you're going to buy stuff at Amazon, doesn't matter if it's my book or, or my you know or your <laughs> guy New York's books or uh, you know a weight set or a exercise ball or a vibrator, whatever the hell you're going to buy, if you click through the Amazon affiliate link, we'll get a percentage of your money that would otherwise just stay with Amazon. Doesn't cost you anything extra and throws a little tip our way. It's a good thing to do. So yeah, let's let's hope some people do that. And uh, we'll be right back. Your body is an animal, doesn't ask for much. A little music and a soft touch. Why don't you let it out? I'm here with uh, Guy New York. Are we all gonna die again? Or is that just yeah. the beginning? <laughs> no, it's just the beginning oh, and the okay. end. Yeah, the all theme right. song. Yeah, but we will die. Yeah, that's not true. not that's again true. necessarily. Right. Uh, wow. Well, yeah, it's, it depends on your perspective. You ever had a near death experience? Um, that's a good question. I've had some experiences where I felt very much like I was going to die. Really? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I don't really want to talk about them. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah, I've had I've had a bunch of them. Um, yeah. You know, in different uh, ways of defining near death experience, of course. But yeah. I talked about yeah. one on the Duncan Trussell Family Hour. Yeah. When I was stung by the scorpion in Guatemala, right. tripping my face off on LSD on top of a jaguar temple in Tikal. You got to listen to the Duncan Trussell Family <laughs> Hour to hear right. that story, folks. Um, but. Uh, I was told that a Guatemalan guy said that the scorpions were were lethal. Right, right. So that night I thought yeah, I was dying. Yeah, you were dying. sure that it was over. Yeah. Um, but other... I mean, I've, I had a ticket on a bus once in Srinagar, from Srinagar to Leh, which is this uh, very... It's, it's the highest city in the world in terms right. of altitude it's way way up in the mm-hmm. in the Himalayas in um, Kashmir and um, I was traveling with these two guys I'd met in Delhi and, and we bought tickets to go up to Leh it was in November and we were staying on houseboats on Dal Lake in mm-hmm. Srinagar it's a beautiful place yeah sounds great and uh, the bus left at you know 6am or something and it was like a 20 hour bus ride you know right. it was just this epic bus ride through winding crazy Himalayan right. Right. roads and we woke up at 5 and uh, you know I remember I was in a mummy sleeping bag and it was just like so toasty warm in there yeah. but my face was freezing right, you know? right. and uh, <laughs> we were like one, the one guy was had a cold and he was like oh no I can't do it I just can't do it today and and the German it was me a British guy and a German guy George the German was like no let's go and so I was the deciding vote and I'm a lazy bastard and I was like yeah come on forget it it was like five bucks you know we're buying another ticket another day and then we ended up 
deciding we got up and we're like you know what as much as I'd love to go up there it's November you know we might get stuck up there and then have to fly out and that's expensive and ah forget it let's just go so I decided to go to Rajasthan which is the desert down Mm -hmm. in the south so let's go down to Delhi and then you know we'll each go our, our just separate ways and so we ended up getting down to Delhi which is a whole other crazy oh, wow. story but by the time we got to Delhi it was two or three days later and um, I remember we went down to this res- you know little restaurant and there was a newspaper on the table in English and front page was all about how the buses leaving Srinagar for Ley, you know, they go in a convoy. Right. They'd been swept away in an avalanche. Yes. Yeah. Bus, buses that we had tickets for. Right. You know? Right. So that's a near-death experience, yeah. you know, that you don't even necessarily know about it, right? I mean, right. you're walking down right. a street, a piano falls out of the yeah, window. Absolutely. and you it know, probably happens every day. It ha- in New York, and anvils. Yeah. I mean, I've seen three anvils falling on the street. I actually took a 12-week course on, on death and dying from my Buddhist teacher. Oh. And it was interesting. Yeah. It was just a lot of, really just mindfulness, being aware of, of my resistance to death and noticing the times I'm thinking about it. and um, So you read Kubler-Ross? I haven't. Oh, well, you know the stages of grief, right? Yeah, right. yeah. Yeah. Dabda. That's the way yes. to remember it. Dabda. Right. right. So right. it's, uh, what is it? It's uh, denial, anger, bargaining, depression, acceptance. And what's interesting from a Buddhist perspective and also just from a life perspective is those stages, I find, apply to everything. Hmm. Not just grief around death. Right. They, they apply to, you know... You get fired from your job. Your girlfriend wants to break yeah, up you with go you. Whatever you go through those stages, and if you can find a place, that, you know, if you have enough life experience and enough time and enough balls or whatever it takes, right. courage, ovaries, to get to that level of acceptance and stay there. But I think even if you can be aware of it when it's happening, when you right. you know when you can say, "Oh, now I'm in the anger part." Right. This was happening to me. But it, but doesn't that apply? Less, you're already less there. Terrifying. Because if if you're aware of if you've got that objective self right hovering above, sure. watching sure. you go through life, then aren't you already at a state of acceptance? Yeah, but that that self doesn't stay there. I think for most of us, unless you, hmm. I mean, I think that's the point of practice. That's why meditation right. is called practice, right? Because right. you're you're focusing on pulling that part out, yeah. that objective self that watches the rest of you. Yeah. And so the more you can do that, the more you can find that in your breath and, and your sense of calm. Then then you can do that. I mean, for me, especially if anger or fear, it's almost impossible to be mindful of. Hmm. I mean, when you're experiencing fear, in fact, you don't want to be present with fear, right? Because it it's not it's not healthy for the body, right? Um, so. Yeah, and almost by definition, those states of being, they wouldn't exist if you were mindful of them. Right. They you wouldn't be their, afraid if you were aware of yeah, your fear, I yeah. guess. And you get caught up in a loop of just getting... Yeah. 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 Okay. So, so anyway. You are going to die one day, though. Yes. I, I mean, you know, Absolutely. whether you like it or not. And it's true. Is it going to be a Tuesday, a Wednesday? I don't know. There's a great poem called uh, For the Anniversary of My Death by W.S. Merton. Mm. I encourage any uh, literary-minded listeners to, to Google it. To go out and- uh, it's, it's short and sweet and beautiful. It's a really lovely poem. And what he, he's basically saying is every year without knowing it, 
I passed the anniversary of my death. Mm. You know? Yeah. It's an interesting thing to think yeah. about. Yeah. You know, that every year it happens. Right. It could be today, it could be yesterday, who knows? But right. the anniversary, you know, we celebrate our birthday. Right. That's but true. When's my death That's day? True. You know? Yeah. yeah. Some of the American Indian tribes say, never count a man as lucky until you've seen his death. Mm. You know, which I take to mean no matter how good your life is. Until the whole story's over, you don't know if you know if it was lucky or not. You know? Right. Well, and a lot of our life though is how well we're preparing ourselves for it to end. Yeah. Right. And you can sort of yeah. tell at the end how how good a job we've done. Yeah. You well, know, you for better. For I mean, here in the studio, you can't hear the theme music. Right. But it's uh, it's beautiful. Carsey Blanton, who I interviewed just a couple days ago, it's her song, and the song says. Um, uh, Hey, what's the big deal? Feel what you're gonna feel. Say what you're gonna say. You're gonna die one day. Right. So the whole song is is about having an awareness of death that allows you to live each day the right. way you really should. Because there's yeah. nothing to lose. Yeah. You know. Why waste your time worrying about an explanation, running from a confrontation? I don't want to give the end away, but you're gonna die one day. You right. know. It's, right. it's a beautiful song. Yeah. It's obviously I'm a fan. That's right. why I yeah, chose absolutely. it. Um, like so it. how is you know people. Uh, listening to this maybe one of the questions they might have is how is what you do different from porn that's a you know when i started out i told people that i had a porn blog hmm. and then my wife was like well i don't know if you should call it a porn blog and i was like well yeah but so i've gone back and forth on it and then i said well is it erotica or is it sort of memoir style fiction or hmm. is it and then the photography is that erotica is it art like what what yeah. is all of it uh, and i don't have any really great answers about it i mean i think um, I think we do try to maintain some level of sort of honesty around honesty isn't even the right word uh, we were talking about fiction a little bit earlier right. when we were not in here right. um, and I think for me porn is often like fiction it has this which can be really powerful and really meaningful because it can sort of take you away and it can be fantasy and it can be all those things um, often time most mainstream porn isn't my fantasy but that's sort of neither here nor there um, but I think, and I, and I guess what we do is often is fantasy as well. Um, I don't know. Maybe I don't have a really great definition of, of porn. Hmm. You know, I tend to think of porn now as, as video content. Yeah. Um, I tend to think of it as sort of produced by the couple small, um, or a couple large, um, porn, but there's so much independent porn and so many really brilliant people making awesome content out there yeah but i think it's changed the and so the definition of porn i think is expanded to include a whole lot of things yeah and i like the word i don't want to throw the word out and say porn is what they do and what i do is, is erotica is art or erotica yeah. Or, yeah. or something else i mean if you can jerk off to it maybe it's porn <laughs> so so is the stuff you're producing you know is it is it jerk off fodder uh, per, for some people, presumably. Yeah. You know, I... My emails are right <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. I got a lot of emails. Cassie and I have received a lot of emails from female readers of Sex at Dawn saying, oh, I had to stop every 10 pages to masturbate. I did not expect that. Yeah. That sort of blew my mind. Yeah. I mean... I didn't have that experience with Sex at Dawn. Well, I, I had to stop every 10 pages writing it to masturbate. You well, know, I but did that, that too. I have to stop every 200 words. <laughs> That's why you if only, only have 500, 500 words. Right. Yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> 
<laughs> oh, that'll slow you down. I don't know what your refractory period is, but you know. I can always tell when I when I've written a good sex scene because my when I get the edits back, um, not I don't the blog is clearly not edited, but when I'm writing something longer, uh, you know, I'll get it back from an editor and like he'll miss the typos and the really good sex parts. Oh, you know, really? Because they're just harder because he's to, just, yeah, just hands are shaking. And then, I, and then I feel like, yeah, but yeah. also my typos are much worse when I get into the naughty parts. Really? And so. Yeah, so there's probably a lot more errors to catch. You should try uh, using voice recognition software. Have you ever tried that? I've tried it a little bit, but I haven't. Dictating something or narrating something is a very different uh, experience, too. Yeah, yeah. I'm surprised at how well it works. I've been dabbling with the Dragon Dictate recently. Yeah, one of my colleagues can write novels that way. And I just, I can't. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm going to try this next book I'm working on. I'm going to try um, hard to, to yeah. dictate it because, you know, it's like, all right, I spent a lot of time learning to touch type and I right. type really fast, yeah, you know. Too. But if I could learn to write a book speaking it, right. that would make life a lot easier. Right. You'll have co authored by Siri. Me and Siri go way back. Oh, talk about jerk off fodder. Oh, Siri, baby. Yeah, I'm surprised. Like, like you know, Halle Berry hasn't you know offered her voice up for Siri or something. You know, yeah, we need to get some some new voices. Yeah, Yeah, Catherine Deneuve or something. You know. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Mm, yes, uh, there's a, there's an idea. It's already right, gone yeah, out. Yeah, Someone's going to take, take it. it. Take it. <laughs> take it and run with it. And just make a damn donation, will you? <laughs> now, I think one of the things I was talking about for the donations is I think what I'm going to do is, I mean, I've got so many humiliating experiences about myself. Yeah, tell me I mean, about stories it. about myself. Yeah. That I think what I'm going to do to promote the, the donations is if you make, every month I'm going to like record some absurd, true story about, because my entire life has been a series of fuck-ups followed by unbelievably lucky outcomes <laughs> you know that's sort of the theme I, I of can my relate life. to that yeah. pretty easily <laughs> so I'm gonna like I'm gonna record a story each month and people who make a donation can download the story oh nice yeah so like you know that. collect them all you yeah, know yeah, yeah. I <laughs> think you can get set. people to participate in that too to like help me fuck up and tell a new story or what do you mean well but I bet you can find other people who would be willing to share really oh, really oh that's a good idea right yeah. so maybe yeah. we'll get a guy in New it's York humiliating practice. story for one month yeah. uh, but then I have to share the donations no well, I'll just yeah, take you out to question. dinner it's or something good, yeah, 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 yeah. We'll, we'll work that out we'll see we'll see how many donations that pulls in <laughs> right uh, what was the other question I was going to ask you we were talking about we were oh talk what about, do you think about Fifty Shades of Grey what does that mean what the hell's going on with that I think that comes back to the fiction fantasy versus reality right I was talking to an editor who, who would not who didn't buy it he said that they had read it and um and it wasn't his thing and so he didn't buy it and, and I was like yeah and I was having kind of mixed feelings about it because I, I think have you read it I've read parts no no yeah me either <laughs> and uh and his point was I don't think it's the greatest piece of literature in the world but it's resonated with 30 million people and that means something right so what does it mean yeah what does I, I think it I think it means that we all have fantasies and that those fantasies are often very about being consumed by things I think that the, the sort of teenage ideal of love as all consuming um, is sort of is 
a fairly common fantasy that, that some people sort of carry with them. But I think people are good at distinguishing between fantasy and reality. So I think the, a lot of people have criticized Fifty Shades of Grey for saying it's going to make people do terrible things and get into terrible relationships. But I don't think that's true when it comes to video games. I don't think it's true when it comes to movies. Mm. I don't think it's true when it comes to Fifty Shades of Grey. Or porn. Or porn. Interestingly, yeah. you know, I was yeah. very surprised when I, I read research on how societies that had not had any access to the internet so we're talking mainly eastern european societies yeah. as access to the internet opened up in that society reported cases of sexual abuse and rape dropped precipitously in every hmm. case do they have an explanation the explanation you know which is a hypothesis right sure. there's no way to really sure. prove it but the the hypothesis is that people uh, men who would possibly be out prowling the streets in a predatory right. fashion are now sitting at home jerking off right. looking they at porn. Other outlets. That they right. Hadn't, they hadn't so there's a, a neutralization. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, geez, you know, give every, you know, lonely, potentially aggressive yeah. guy an internet account and a flashlight and the world right. will be a right. better place. You know? I remember in high school that, you know, guys, we, you know, we were share videotapes or something VHS tapes of porn right that was what we had there's no internet isn't that an interesting thing how men like to share porn that's true I don't that's I mean to yeah, interrupt yeah, yeah. you but absolutely. it's sort of absolutely. it's like you know you give hey man check this one out and it's like it's a real bonding thing among guys right but that that was the outlet we had but then all of my female friends in high school were reading Anne Rice or Anne Eisenman or, or Henry Miller right and, and they had jerk off material on their fucking bookshelf in their bedroom you know where we were trying to hide <laughs> things like past one video back and forth it was something that we didn't even really like all that much it was just the only opportunity to see somebody naked and having uh, sex oh yeah and so if there's been a I think there's been a little bit of a disjoint between do, do you ever do you form like an emotional attachment to porn do you have any porn from like years back you just can't bear to throw away I don't <laughs> I <laughs> you don't. cold hearted bastard yeah oh no I think yeah. I think it's really hard to throw away porn I yeah I've donated some things some it's like, like New Yorkers classic. I don't even like throwing away New Yorkers yeah, I always really New Yorkers is definitely more more uh, porn than mind porn it's <laughs> yeah, brain it's, porn yeah exactly yeah I mean I, I'll even be like I've got a bunch of New Yorkers with me in New York so I, I, you know whenever I travel I take them because right. I can leave right. them and lighten my load but their I'm iPad even app is great by the way what's that their iPad app it's wonderful it's yeah, the it's only thing brilliant. I ever use my iPad for it's, it's brilliant it's their digital really thing in yeah. general really sucks yeah. I gotta say yeah they're, I mean they're it's a mess it's a typical you know all these old school established media people are terrible about adopting the new technologies yeah and the New Yorker included, but their iPad app is fantastic. Their iPhone app too is, is great. It's just up is there. it? Just yeah, I can't read something. Yeah, on my yeah I can barely not. read emails yeah. on my phone. Yeah, people have read our book on their iPhone. Yeah, you know, it's yeah. like, oh yeah, I'd love to have you sign it, but I read it on my iPhone. Like, are you fucking kidding me? You read a <laughs> book on your iPhone? Are you nuts? Anyway, uh, what the hell was I talking about? The New Yorker. Oh, like I'm so selective about the New Yorker, the brain porn of the New right. Yorker that I will not leave it in a not cool cafe. I'll like look for a really right. funky right. 
high IQ cafe. You don't want to distribute it in the wrong. wrong. Yeah, I don't want it to go to waste. Right. It's like is that like burying it under the right tree when you're in? (laughs) (laughs) No, because I want people to find it. Okay. But I want the right people to find it. Right. Right. I don't want some loser to like you know say it's garbage and throw it away. I want somebody to go. Oh, the New Yorker. Yeah. 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 I think I missed this edition. (laughs) I love the cartoons. So what would be the porn equivalent? Yeah. (laughs) Is there like a you know this classic great? Yeah. I mean, I remember. I mean, I'm older than you, so I don't want to give away your identity but you're younger than me which still leaves yeah. a lot of a yeah. lot of space <laughs> um seika do you, you have any idea who seika was seika was the swedish blonde i'm not generally into the blondes but she was really something yeah. and see no i hope mom's not listening yeah, to yeah, see, my yeah. mom doesn't yeah. need to hear my right. porn preferences right um dad might but not yeah. mom. Yeah. uh vanessa del rio hot latina yeah. Yeah, but this is back in the day. This is when yeah. you had to go to like a cinema to see porn. Right. Right. Which I guess what's his name in Hollywood is still doing. The guy got busted a couple weeks ago, remember? No, I didn't. Yeah. Oh, um what's his name? He he was in uh Best in Show. He's a really oh, funny okay. guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He he was doing the commentary in Best in Show. Uh, oh, you've seen him in lots of yeah, movies. Uh, anyway, he got caught Apparently, with his dick out in yeah, some porn. porn cinema in in LA. We don't really have porn cinemas. I don't think. There I think are it any. might be the only one still. I open. love the idea of, the idea of sort of communal viewing of of porn. I think it normalizes it in a way that we lost in the last. Yeah, you know, you know what I don't love is the idea of cum all over the floor or possibly yeah. the seat. And, right, yeah, right. Well, that. but that's because it's not normalized enough. I think that's because yeah. it's still it's right. too small of a right. You know, but when Deep Throat came out on the screen, oh. I mean, the theater was packed have you seen the film um, Beyond Deep Throat I haven't it's a documentary about that cultural moment yeah I've seen clips of it oh it's fantastic it's it's a really good film and it's all about this thing of how this moment occurred where suddenly movie stars were standing in line for the premiere of of Deep Throat and it's like you know Fifty Shades of Grey suddenly you could talk about it yeah yeah it was it was a real moment of cultural transformation so the reason I mentioned Fifty Shades of Grey is, is and I think this ties into your work so much is I think it's always hard to see history you know from within it of course but I've got the feeling that we are at a transformative moment in American history as it pertains to human sexuality. I think so too. Dan Savage used to be a fringe character. Right. Now he's mainstream yeah. and he hasn't changed at all. Right. The stream right. has shifted yeah. toward him. Yeah. Right. Um, you know, I, I was out the other night with Dan and Andrew Sullivan in a bear bar. Right. You ever been in a bear bar? Possibly. <laughs> so even using a fake name, you're, you're, you're yeah, a cagey yes. about stuff. Well, I had never been in a bear bar before, and it right. was uh, it was it's, amazing. Yeah, yeah, we should tell 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 our listeners what a bear bar is if if you're comfortable. If not, I'll do it. Yeah, I mean it's usually a leather bar or for kind of big hairy guys, big burly yeah. men with beards. Yeah. All right. Now this yeah. was also the only place it's like kind of warm and friendly about it. Though it was wonderful. Please, sweet. Yeah. It, it was wonderful. Yeah. The only problem was trying to edge up to the bar. Right. Because those dudes occupy a lot of space. <laughs> I mean, it was, you know, and they're tall. Yeah. You can't, yeah. like, order over them. You can't right. go under. Right. So, um, but anyway, it was it was, uh, it was was great. They're really friendly people, good music, and, you know, nobody... 
I mean, I've been to my fair share of gay bars as a as a right. breeder. I you know I I've got a lot of gay friends, so I know, and uh, they're really friendly places. I, I really oh, yeah. the vibe. Yeah. You know, straight guys who've never been to a gay bar, like hey, don't worry about it. It's right. it's because I think. I mean, I, I I've written about this. Uh, yeah, I, I have a lot of admiration for uh, for people who have come to terms with being different from the norm, right. from the expected norm. Sure. They've gone through that that process, and I think straight people. The danger of being straight is that you can get away with holding on to your bullshit yes. in a way that... that yeah, you don't get called out on it. Exactly. Well. You don't have to face it. Right. So you, a lot of us don't. Yeah. You know. Anyway, what the hell am I saying about the... Gay, the oh, you were the talking about bar. how we're having a cultural shift towards some sort of open sexuality. Right. Well, anyway, what I said to those two guys... Bar. I mean, here are these two gay guys, right. you know, intellectuals. Right. Not bears. Andrew's sort of yeah, a bear. Yeah. yeah. Um, and both of them... From my perspective, have managed to you know I, I see like like a horse goes running by. The, they've managed to like leap onto this horse, not only hold on, but redirect the horse, so like pull the horse into a different direction. And that's culture, right? right? And they haven't done it with a Donald Trump fortune or right, right. you know a Malcolm uh, or what's his name, the guy who owns the Wall Street Journal, the Australian asshole. Yeah, that guy. Yeah, that guy. Um, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, man. Huh? I don't know. I don't remember his name. Yeah. Do you remember his name? No, sound guy doesn't remember his name either. Okay, he owns the Wall Street Journal, and you know he's the Australian billionaire who's ruining the world. Uh, Rupert Murdoch. Rupert Murdoch. Oh, yeah. yeah. I probably shouldn't say yeah. that asshole because yeah. now I'm going to have Australian I think assassins. I, I think it's objective. I think Rupert Murdoch is an asshole. I don't. You think don't it's think, it's yeah. demonstrably true? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Anyway, so these guys, they don't have any of that leverage. All they've right. got is intelligence, sincerity, right. and they've yeah. changed the world. People want to talk about it. They I think they do. And I, and I think one of the reasons is someone like Dan Savage, who's been so open and funny and yeah. honest that it disarms people. You know, yeah. So I do think we're at a transformative moment, and and I think you're right. I think that Fifty Shades of Grey is very much like Deep Throat in the sense that it's public. You know, yeah. they're selling that book at the airport for crying out loud. They won't sell our book, right? At most right, airports at airport. because yeah, it has yeah. the word "sex" in the title, right? But, but Fifty Shades of Grey is on its own right. display case, right? Goddamn yeah. airports. I, the place, one of the places I'd like to see this cultural shift move into, even from a, a liberal perspective, is is the whole sex worker movement. Because yeah. I think even a lot of really liberal people and, and feminists and, and Occupy Wall Street people are still just sort of ages behind when it comes to when it comes to that. Yeah. And it, and yeah. And still, it's the workers who go to prison, not the right. Johns. Right. And what the hell right. is up with that? If it's illegal, right. it's illegal. Right. You and know. we think of it as a, as a sex issue. You know, all of this sort of back page bullshit becomes all about sex. And we don't think of it as a labor issue, which right. I think it really is. Right. Um, but I, I would love to see a sort of... I, want, I think we are getting a little bit of a cultural shift towards that as well. But I don't know what... I don't know what kind of... Whether it takes a personality like, you know, the, the sort of Dan Savage of sex workers or somebody to sort of drag cultural culture sort of kicking and screaming behind it in that direction but I think it's a place we need to go yeah 
Well, listen, you're helping with that. I think you're the, the candor and intelligence of, of what you're doing is definitely uh, adding to the momentum in that direction, which is why I wanted to talk to you today. So thank Thanks. you for doing this. Thanks uh, for tell, having me. Tell our, tell our listener, I think we got one listener, yeah. maybe yeah. two. <laughs> tell both our listeners where they can uh, find your books and your blog and all that again. Yeah, you can find the blog at quickiesnewyork.com and you can find my books on Amazon or Barnes & Noble under Guy New York. All right, cool. Don't forget to send in those donations and uh, download an embarrassing story. Yeah, Maybe we'll absolutely. get one from Guy. <laughs> and uh, and uh, yeah, check us out next week when we'll be talking to uh, another fascinating person on Tangentially Speaking. Smoke alarms will dance into the ground.